0: These post-script shows are supported by Fanatic.com, the fin rental company that ships FCS, Futures, Rainbow Fins, all the brands straight to your mailbox. Thrusters, quads, twins, singles, anything you want to try, Fanatic has it, and you can keep them as long as you want. Just send them back in their prepaid envelope that Fanatic provides. All the shipping is covered in your $10 monthly subscription, and you'll get your first month free by using promo code PODCAST. But more importantly, you'll support this show. This is a smoking deal, and it'll improve your surf experience and expand your quiver. Fanatic.com, promo code PODCAST. Thanks. My name is David Scales, and this is my postscript to the 2019 Quicksilver Pro Gold Coast. Enjoy. We signed off the 2018 season. Gabriel Medina reigning as our unequivocal pipe master and then our world champ for the second time. Julian Wilson and Jordy Smith both left us wondering, as they have for the past three years, if they are aging out of contention for a world title. Third and fourth place, Felipe Toledo and Idolo Ferrer, left the impression that they are still on the upswing, room for Felipe to improve in larger surf, and then room for Idolo to improve consistency over the grueling nine-month stretch of a season. In the offseason, the WSL made some changes at HQ in Santa Monica. Eric Logan left his position as president of Oprah Winfrey's own network to become president of content, media, and WSL studios. Pat O'Connell steps in as SVP of Tours and Head of Competition, a role formerly titled The Commissioner. The inaugural event of 2019, the Quicksilver Pro Gold Coast, was designed to be run at Snapper Rocks. It would signal the return from injury of two-time world champ John John Florence, who had rented out Surf Ranch for nine straight days in March just to train for this right-hand point break. It would also signal the potential swan song season for kelly slater who spent the previous week competing in the six-star visla sydney surf pro at manly beach surprisingly a really adequate training ground for what the gold coast event would ultimately become gabriel medina would be defending his second world title and attempting to maintain his position at the eye of the brazilian storm in what i incorrectly presumed was an april fool's day joke The event opened at Duranbah, the punchy beach break around the corner from Snapper Rocks. The WSL introduced a somewhat new format. The two-person heats would be overlapping 40-minute heats, which puts four surfers in the water at the same time. This allows the contest to run in less time and simply improves the viewing experience by double. There's just more waves being surfed more frequently. There was also a slight restructuring in the elimination rounds versus non-elimination rounds and the seeding. It's not really worth detailing here, but again, a change for the better, both in terms of the amount of time it takes to run the contest and allowing the best surfers to do more surfing. Day One delivered what the WSLN fans would hope, spectacular and high-energy surfing with dramatic battles. Gabriel and John John looked fiery, energetic, and determined, both on opposite sides of the draw, signaling a potential blockbuster final and potential rivalry that we've all been begging for. The wild cards and rookies upset the legacy competitors. The Red Bull airborne event completed its first round of competition. While it somewhat held my attention, the only noteworthy air was a backside full rotation by Felipe Toledo where he went upside down on takeoff, rotating through the inversion, and then landed cleanly after a full spin. It was the air of the event and would later be revealed as the best air of the entire week. On day two, sadly, Kelly Slater was eviscerated. It wasn't necessarily that his competitors surfed tremendously better, it was actually more grueling than that, with him stubbornly surfing a bank that would ultimately never deliver the right that he had seen Ricardo Christie get in the previous heat. Meanwhile, Owen Wright and Patterson Cresanto surfed to the south, essentially in a one-on-one battle for sixes. The painful truth that was highlighted through this heat, and I would argue has been slowly being revealed over the past five years, is that Slater simply isn't in contention anymore to win this type of an event. He isn't in contention to win any of the events on tour that aren't in maxing flawless surf. And in the moments after the loss, it seemed that Kelly Slater himself was confronting that realization. What we love about him is his ability and his willingness to articulate a state of mind, and he did that. He wanted to cry in his post-heat interview. It was frustration, and he verbalized it about the conditions and his choice to sit on that north sandbar. But in reality, his frustration was more likely about him conceding that his body may not be nimble and nubile enough to compete on tour in meager conditions. And maybe more importantly, his desire to trounce competitors isn't nearly as fiery as it was when he was in his 20s nor even his 30s. Or, more to the point, his desire to smash opponents isn't anywhere near what Gabriel Medina's is. Day two also marked completion of the Red Bull Airborne event. Idalo won the event. He ended up doing better airs in the Quicksilver Pro, but still nothing as good as Felipe's air in the earlier round of the Airborne event. All things worth noting. It also became evident that Felipe, Gabriel, and Italo's air prowess is directly correlated to their athleticism, their fitness, and their training. The free surfer air guys that are invited out for the airborne event definitely can bang out an entertaining clip with the benefit of lengthy surf trips and editing, but when compared side by side with Italo, Felipe, and Gabriel, they look sluggish and inconsistent at best. Their next event is a month away at Karamas, and they'd be wise to take that month seriously and train like it's a real job. Because it is. In fact, it's a brand new opportunity and a potentially better job than they've previously had access to. This airborne tour is an experiment, and it presents a very viable way for these aerialists to showcase their talent and vastly improve their earning potential and their ability to pursue their dream of surfing around the world. If lack of training and athleticism allows for Idolo to show up on a whim and just take their job, then it's time that they might need to reassess their career options. By day three, John John Florence retroactively made me miss him last year on tour. His style, grace, and poise in the midst of radical surfing highlighted a void from 2018. He doesn't have that tenacity that seems to provide omnipotence for Gabriel and Edolo, but strangely, John's grace subverts that. His power seems to lie in a cerebral grace that doesn't need to convince the judges of its relevance. These first three days of competition showcase the highest level of surfing that we've ever seen and a significant increase from 2018, led mainly by Gabriel Medina, Italo Ferrer, and John John Florence. It seems as though the various components of the industry that are experiencing growth and momentum have coalesced and that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. It was a high energy, positive few days of surfing, exactly what the WSL wants. That is until day five. But before we get into the letdown, let's detour for a quick positive story. Wildcard Reef Hazelwood showed up in Hawaii last year, stomped some airs, and left a big impression on the North Shore and on Surf Media. He won the trials event at Diba and then beat Julian Wilson in round one and in round three, landed some huge airs in the Red Bull airborne event before losing eventually to Seth Moniz in round four. He did all of this with a stickerless board, calling into question the state of the industry. That is until Bob Hurley posted an Instagram from dinner on Sunday night with a photo of Reef and a caption stating, welcome to the family. Congrats to Reef and bravo to Hurley. Hopefully we'll see more from Reef as a result of that partnership. All the while that the event had been running in Duranbaugh, the sand had been filling in at Snapper. With a couple of successful free surf sessions and an increasing swell, the event organizers made the decision to move the contest to Snapper and were eagerly waiting to call on the first heat of the quarterfinals. They waited each hour for a little more swell and a little more sand. It turned out to be an ill-fated move. The swell never fully transpired and instead the wind slowly increased. To add insult, Duranbaugh was firing, arguably the best day of the contest window, without a single heat surfed. The final day was marred not only by the stench of the previous day's botched call, but by meager conditions and then by very questionable judging. The first questionable call came in the final minute of quarterfinal one, John John Florence versus Connor Coffin. Connor needed a 5.88 and did the single best turn of the heat. It was a single maneuver and he ended up getting a 5.43. It wasn't an egregious mistake by the judges and it could have really been argued either way that Connor won that heat or John John won, but it did signal a series of similarly dubious calls made throughout the day. Which brings us to and Andino. Calohe has said in the past that he wants to draw the best surfers and be put into challenging situations to elevate his surfing. He certainly got what he asked for on the finals day, perhaps in ways that he didn't really expect. Firstly, he beat an in-form Seth Moniz, who staked his claim for the rookie of the year. Calohe then took out John John Florence, but with neither surfer accumulating even 10 points. On the other side of the draw, Jordy stopped Gabriel, and while it could be argued that Gabe and John John did their best surfing in the early rounds of the event, Jordy quietly increased his performance and succeeded in making Gabriel look human. That is to say, fallible. Something that we haven't seen from Gabriel since Karamas last year. And again, that was at the hands of Jordy as well. So, might this actually be the new rivalry? Jordy versus Gabriel? Jordy delivered Gabe's two most meaningful losses last year. So let's keep tabs on that as we go into Bells. But back to the judging. Idolo opened semifinal number 2 with a 7.33 backside flat spin. Jordy answered back with a frontside inverted whip to garner an 8.67, then backed it up with a combo carved to straight air for 6 points. Idolo stomped another spin for 8 points and ultimately took the heat. Less than a point separated their final scores. But heats like this harken back to 2010 in Brazil when Jadson Andre beat Kelly Slater in the final doing the exact same air reverse regardless of what the wave was doing or what the section called for. Something that, with the benefit of hindsight, looks terribly stale, trite, and doesn't account for some of the fundamentals of the judging criteria, namely power and flow, things that Jordy's waves executed beautifully. The final saw Koloe andino against Idolo Ferrer. Should Kaloe win this event, it would be his first CT win and be the first event won by a Californian in 10 years. In the end, it would only be a tenth of a point difference between the two surfers with Idolo getting the tiniest nod. With two minutes left, Idolo needed a 6.93. Koloe had priority, was tracking Idolo, and then let him go on a mediocre waist-high wave. Can you guess what Idolo did? As if it was a replay from his heat with Jordy, again on a less substantial waves than the ones previously surfed, he pumped down the line and hucked a fully rotated backside flat spin. He needed that 6.93. He got a 7.07. The easiest way to highlight this judging error is simply to say that they awarded this wave the highest score of the heat. It could be argued that Idolo's first wave was actually underscored and perhaps this score was meant to rectify that either way it really wasn't the best wave of the heat when you look at both scoring waves from either surfer you know it is a very close heat you could probably argue either side Either way, both surfers surfed amazingly well in very challenging conditions, and they brought fire and drama all the way to the dying moments. Idolo won both the Red Bull Airborne event and the Quicksilver Pro. Kaloi got exactly what he wanted when he asked for adversity that would challenge his medal. In response, he elevated his surfing to meet the challenge but was probably unaware that it'll actually be his mental fortitude that faces the greatest stress. We'll see how that fares in Bells, where again, Idolo Ferrer is the defending champ. That event kicks off on April 17th. We'll see you there.